0: Welcome to the Bible Truth Podcast with Ron and Tim Reynolds, pastors and Bible teachers. Pastor Ron and Pastor Tim combined for more than 70 years of teaching and preaching God's Word. Listen now as they share the eternal truths of the Bible. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Tim with the Bible Truth for Living program. Today we are in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 through 16, as the title of the message is God's Economy. We hear a lot about the economy today, and of course, anytime you have an election year and we hear about inflation and all of these things, we think of economy and finances. Uh, in our own way here in America. But God's economy is different than our economy. Uh, He doesn't figure things, count things the way that we do. And in the parable that we're going to study today, Jesus will use the principles of uh, work and workers and wages to teach a spiritual lesson about the way his economic system works, and especially in regards to the principle of Of the first and the last being changed, being switched, where he says the first will be last and the last will be first. So, as we study this today, I want us to be thinking about how God counts and figures things, uh, not how man does. And so, we're going to look at God's economy. In verses 1 through 7 of this parable in Matthew chapter 20, we will begin with the recruiting of the laborers. Now, many businesses and corporations utilize job recruiters. They're often called headhunters, but they're job recruiters that fill job vacancies for corporations or for businesses. Their chief responsibility is to locate qualified potential employees for the business. And so we're going to look at this now in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says for the kingdom of heaven is likened to a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his vineyard. So the recruiter here is actually referred to as the householder. Now, who is this householder in the parable? Well, the householder here is none other than God himself. You see, God is not only recruiting workers here, but he's recruiting them for his vineyard, which means he is the owner. You know, the first thing we need to understand about God's economy is that he is the owner and CEO of everything. Uh, Sometimes we will say, uh, well, I own my home or I own 30 acres of property or what have you. We don't own anything. It's only on loan to us for a temporary period of time. You may think you own it, but one of these days you'll pass away and that item, that land will be left behind because God owns it all. In fact, Psalm 50 verse 10 says this, "...for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills." I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. They are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Beloved, we need to understand that we don't own anything. We are simply stewards and caretakers for the time we have here on earth uh, of what God actually owns. So he is the householder. He is the owner, the CEO of the entire universe. But now let's go back there to Matthew chapter 20 and and look again at what he is doing here. Jesus says the householder goes out early in the morning to hire laborers unto his vineyard. Who are these laborers? Well, these people are going to be hired to do a specific job. And verse 2 says, when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Now, a penny a day would not excite us in our economy. But in Jesus' day, that was actually an above-average wage for a day. It was a Roman denarius. And if you could make a penny a day, uh, you were really pretty financially set. You you were doing pretty good. And so the agreement here, in the first hour, the early morning hours, and really you would think of this as 6 a.m., because according to the way that the Uh, The Jews would keep time. We're going to look at all these times and hours in just a moment, but we're beginning at 6 a.m. Now, these laborers have an agreement. They have the law as a guarantee. They have a guaranteed contract of what the householder is going to pay them. Now, without getting too deep into this, uh, we need to know something, and that is that the first set of laborers represent the nation of Israel. You see, God made a covenant with Israel going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 called the Abrahamic covenant, and they are his covenanted people, his earthly people, and that still stands today. And in fact, uh, also when Jesus Christ came to, to the earth, he came to the Jew first. All right, Jesus really didn't come to the Gentiles. He came to the Jews. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that he came into his own, that would be his own people, the Jewish people, but his own received him not. They crucified him. But they have the laws as their guarantee because there's an agreement made that he's going to pay them uh, this certain amount. But then we have some more laborers in verses three through five, and they now not they don't have the law as a guarantee. They have the Lord himself as their guarantee. Listen now to verse three. And he went out about the third hour. So now we're talking about 9 a.m. And saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And said unto them, go you also into the vineyard. And whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. That would be at noon and at three o'clock. So he has gone out now each about every three hours to bring in more laborers. But this time there's no agreement made. There's no contract. He simply says, I will pay you whatsoever is right. Right to whom? Well, right to him. He says, I promise you, I'm going to pay you what, what you deserve. What is right. These now must trust the householder to keep his word. Now, The first group of laborers represent the nation of Israel with a covenant, a contract with the householder. Here we have the Gentiles, and you could also say the church age. Our covenant with God is not uh, like the Abrahamic covenant, an earthly covenant. It is a spiritual covenant, a guarantee by God himself that he will save us and that he will keep us and that he will also reward us for serving him. We have something better than the law as our guarantee. We have the Lord himself saying, I'll do what what is right. And you can count on God to always do what is right and to keep his word. And then we have uh, the late guarantee. Listen now to verse six. And about the 11th hour. So the 11th hour, we're not talking about 11 p.m. at night. We're talking about 5 p.m., the last hour of the work day. So we're going from 6 a.m., going around until 6 p.m., all right? So the 11th hour would be 5. I hope that makes sense. 5 p.m. He went out and found others standing idle. And saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? They say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. Now we need to understand the custom of the day. You see, laborers would gather in one central location. And then as they were needed to go maybe work in a vineyard, or maybe to do some type of other type of work, farming or or carpentry work, People would come and they would hire them throughout the day, okay? And that's what this, this householder is doing. But we get to the last hour, and he says, why are you standing idle? And their reply is, well, nobody told us about this job. No one has told us. Well, here's the deal. They're not idle because they are lazy. They are idle because they've not had opportunity and they have not heard. Now, why is that important? They had not heard because no one had told them about the opportunity. Now, let's put this into, our, into context in the church age. There are many people who have not been saved and have not uh, had the opportunity to ask Jesus to save them simply because they have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that we all have that responsibility? That's not just a pastor's responsibility. In fact, every one of us are called to be preachers. Now, not everyone is called to preach, preach the gospel, but a preacher is one who simply proclaims something, proclaims the gospel, and we all have that call. Uh, Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 10 in regards to people needing to hear. Romans 10 uh, verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a great verse. You, You probably have heard that one before. But here's the next verse. How then shall they call on him, in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher you see when we say boy whosoever shall call upon the name of the lord shall be saved that's great anybody can can be saved yeah but they need to hear if they never hear the gospel, that's the purpose of this radio program and this podcast. That's the purpose of, of the ministries of your church, hopefully. The primary responsibility is not just to get together and, you know, for fellowship, and that's fine, and to even study the Bible and learn more. thats spiritual growth is very important. But, boy, if you're never t- sharing the gospel and going out and reaching people for Jesus, you may as well call yourself a club because the primary responsibility every believer and every church has is to preach the gospel to every creature. That doesn't mean necessarily you have to take your Bible around and turn to this page and share the Romans road or, or what have you, but it's being a testimony for Jesus, giving people the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so these are standing idle because they had not heard. And then some have heard, but they haven't been harvested. You know, there are people who have heard the gospel before, maybe in a in a revival or maybe a vacation Bible school, but but it never went any farther than that. Maybe they maybe they just need a little extra uh, talking to and an explanation about salvation to actually harvest them for the Lord Jesus Christ. What do I mean? Well, here is what Jesus says in John four thirty five: "But say ye, or say not ye, rather." That there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. As a farmer, this time of year begins to look at the field and knows the harvest season is coming up soon. We have that same opportunity to harvest souls for Jesus, but the problem is we don't look up. What does that mean? That means that we're so concerned with our own lives. We get so busy uh, and entangled in the affairs of this world that we're not looking up to see that there are souls that need to be harvested for the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have that responsibility. Uh, One pastor was asked how many missionaries his church had. And his response was this. He said, well, everyone in our church is a missionary. And that's a true statement. You see, uh, you need to ask yourself, am I harvesting my field? Your pastor. Your pastor has a limited amount of people that he can reach. Same as me you will have people throughout your week that your pastor will never come into contact with. That's your field. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your neighbors, your coworkers, friends, what have you. That is your field that you are responsible to harvest and God expects us uh, to uh, put some effort into harvesting souls for him. Now, there's something else about this parable, a principle that I want you to understand. As this householder goes out, he begins at six o'clock in the morning, then at nine, then at noon, then at three, then at five. This tells us that the householder goes throughout the day looking for people to bring in. Thank God that he doesn't quit on us, amen? You know, some people are saved as children. I, I was fortunate enough to be raised in a pastor's home, and I accepted Christ as a young child, and I thank God for that. Some people don't have that same opportunity. They get saved in the middle age or or sometimes even in their senior years. But the great thing about God is he keeps calling. Listen, if you're praying for a loved one to be saved, don't quit. You just keep praying for them and, and just keep on asking God. And, and eventually, uh, if it's God's will, and you're praying for that to happen, and you're you're, you're uh, even maybe sharing Jesus with them as you have the opportunity, the Lord will save that soul. And the wonderful thing is he keeps calling and keeps calling and keeps calling. And uh, so that's what we have here with this principle of the parable. But now we're going to look at the recompensing of the laborers as payday comes. Now, this is very interesting because we're going to see the order now as they come in to get paid. And the last who came in are now going to be first. Listen to verse 8 of Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, so when evening was come, the Lord of the vineyard, that would be God the Father, saith unto his steward, now that would be God the Son, call the laborers. That's, that's a picture of the rapture as the Father sends the Son to call us home. He says, call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. Now, what's going on here? What's happening is that although they had no written contract, remember he has said, I'll just pay you whatever is right. These latecomers that had worked only one hour, they received a full day's wage. They got a penny. Now, that's wonderful for them. But now you're going to see a group that's jealous because the first are now going to be last. Listen to verse 10. But when the first came, those that started at 6 a.m., they supposed that they should have received more. Well, in our economy, yeah, you would think that. They worked all day long. And uh, how would you like to work all day, you know, an eight-hour shift or 12-hour shift and someone else come along and work an hour and get paid the same thing? Well, in our economy, we wouldn't like it. But God's economy is different. And they supposed they should have been paid more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, the penny, they murmured against the goodman of the house. Now, they did receive exactly what they had agreed to. When we go back to the beginning of the parable, they made an agreement. They would work all day for one penny. But now that they receive what was agreed to, they don't appreciate it. They say, that's not fair. Uh, We don't like this deal. Now, here's the principle. God does not save us based on our age or length of time uh, that we have gone to church or been a good person. Neither does he reward us for just how long we've been saved. God saves because we trust in his son, Jesus Christ. And God rewards those who serve him based upon their faithfulness and their attitude. He does not save based on the fact that we deserve it. He doesn't save based on the fact we are a Jew or a Gentile or a male or female or uh, we are wealthy or we're poor. That has nothing to do with it. You see, God doesn't look at things the way we do. And I think I can have a scripture here that may help explain this a little better. I'm going to go to Galatians chapter 3. And the book of Galatians really is about people who uh, had been saved, but they were trying to get the Gentiles to also embrace Judaism, and they were mixing law and grace. And Paul, the entire uh, letter or book of Galatians is about refuting that that teaching. But I'm going to read from uh, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. The Bible says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Redeemed means he has purchased us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. When Christ was crucified, that was was a cursed thing. And here's why he did it. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now, when you think of Abraham, you think of the Jewish people. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. Those are the physical descendants of Abraham. But because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we who are Gentiles are the spiritual offspring of Abraham, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I'm going to skip over to verse 26. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now that is not speaking of water baptism. That is the baptism of the Spirit. When we are saved, we are indwelt by the spirit of God and a spiritual transaction takes place. We are baptized into the body of Christ. Now here's the verse I really want to focus on. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There is neither bond nor free. There there is neither male nor female for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul is driving home the point that just because you are uh, a Jew You're no better than anyone else. You're you're not going to heaven based on that. And the same thing for a Gentile. You're not any better because you're a Gentile. The fact is, we are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about equality, you can't beat that in the Lord Jesus Christ because he says there's no male, no female, no Jew, nor, nor Gentile. Everybody is just one in the Lord Jesus Christ and if we could understand that concept we we have that so twisted in our culture today you hear a lot about uh, diversity and inclusion and equity and these sorts of things that become so politically correct and and muddled well that that's that's outdated because the Bible tells us way before that where equality is found and it's found in Jesus Christ because he says we're all one in Christ Jesus and he doesn't save us based on any other merit other than our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you understand that. I'm gonna go back to Matthew chapter 20 and wrap this parable up as we're gonna now look at the owner of the vineyard and we see his government in verse 13. So you have these who are upset and in fact, in verse 12, Uh, We find out that they come to him, and, and they say the last have worked only an hour, and you've made them equal to us, and this isn't fair. But he answered one of them and said, "'Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is, and go thy way.'" He says, "'Listen, I'm in charge, and you're not. We made an agreement. I have fulfilled my agreement. You have no reason to complain. You have no right to say I've not treated you fair.'" Um, it's, it's, uh, the way that it's going to be. And he just says it plainly. Uh, you're going to have to accept the deal. You agreed it, agreed with it. That's the, that's the covenant. But then we also see his grace because he says in verse 14, I will give unto this last, even as unto thee, God gives us what we do not deserve based on our faith in him. The Bible says for by grace, are you saved through faith? Those who came last, did they deserve it? No, but grace is never deserved. Grace is undeserved favor, unmerited favor. And God extends his grace to us for salvation. And then we see the greatness of the owner in verse 15, because he says, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? I could do whatever I want. God has the right to save who he wants to save, uh, to reward who he wants to reward. And who are we to question it, to compare, uh, to even be concerned with those things? We just have to trust him. And then we see his goodness because he says, is thine eye evil because I am good? He says, I'm good. Are you going to be evil and jealous and compare yourself to these who came last? And you're going to worry about that because I've been good. I've been good to them just like I've been good to you. The truth is we are saved and we are rewarded based on nothing but God's grace and God's goodness. Let me read this scripture to you, Romans chapter 2. Maybe this will help uh, solidify this thought. Romans 2 and verse 3. The Bible says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You see, you can take one of two things. You can either accept the goodness of God and repent of your sin and accept his son as your savior and be saved and then enjoy all the fruit not only of this life but the best is yet to come or you can reject the goodness of god and face the wrath and judgment of god because that's just as equally as true if you spurn his goodness You're going to face and receive his wrath and his judgment. That means eternally separated from God in a place called hell and eventually the lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. Why? Because you have spurned the goodness of God. If you're not saved... Don't spurn the goodness of God. Don't say, I don't need that. God's not good. God's done this to me. No, you better realize God is good. And it is he and his goodness alone that is willing to save us if we'll just ask him. But if you reject that goodness, you will face his wrath and his judgment. And then the last thing we see is the observation as he wraps up this parable in verse 16. Jesus says, so the last shall be first and the first last for many be called But few chosen. Here's the third principle of this parable God's economy is not like our economy. His reward system is different than our reward system. What we are called to do is to simply trust and obey and then leave the rest to Him. Friend, have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you accepted His goodness or have you rejected His goodness? He's willing to save you, He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. How about if you're a believer, but are you comparing your service to others? Are you saying, well, God, look at what I'm doing compared to them. Don't concern yourself with that. You you just do what you need to do. You know, sometimes we'll tell our kids that if they say, well, so-and-so gets to do this, or how come that's not fair, and we tell them, "Look, you just do what you're supposed to do. You do what is right, and you'll be rewarded for that." That same principle applies to God's work. If you're where you're supposed to be, doing what you're supposed to do, let God take care of the reward system. Because I promise you, He will do whatsoever is right, and it will be one hundred percent just and right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. I pray the message was a help to you in understanding this parable from Matthew chapter twenty in God's economy. I look forward to being with you again next Sunday. Until then, this is Pastor Tim Reynolds saying, may God bless you, is my prayer.